with me to Galatians chapter 1. And as we do, we're going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So if you have little kids who are pre-K up through third grade, you can meet in the back for Children's Church. We are now in week three of a new sermon series we're doing on the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Christian churches in Galatia. This is such a unique book, such a powerful book, because the whole book is really an explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to think about it in the big picture, the first two chapters of Galatians are really a lot about Paul's autobiography, who Paul is and what God has done for him. The second, cha- the second part of the book, chapters 3 and 4, are all about the theology of Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ, And then the last two chapters are about Christian ethics and how we respond in gratitude to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're still in that early part, the end of chapter 1, where Paul is going to begin to lay out very clearly how the gospel impacted him as an individual. He's going to share his testimony with us this morning. And so we pick up our reading in Galatians chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 11 and we'll read all the way to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order, to, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter, and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie." Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is God's word. Let us again go to him in prayer. Oh Lord God, we thank you for the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would press that gospel truth into the hearts of everyone here who believes. And for those who have yet to believe, I pray, Lord, that you would do a dramatic work, a transforming work in their lives, that they might be as transformed as Paul was. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, my kids shared their testimony to my niece and nephew. 
Lily and Jack are going on a mission trip this summer to St. Louis with the youth group. And since they're going to be working with little kids, kind of VBS age kids, the, the youth group workers wanted them to practice their testimony. So they called up their cousin, Nathan, and their other little cousin, Laura, who live in California, and they shared their testimony with their cousins. It went very well. Uh, little Nathan and little Laura were in awe of their cousins as elementary schoolers are often in awe of their middle school cousins. The question is that I have for you this morning is, have you ever shared your testimony with someone else? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what you said? Was your testimony primarily about Jesus? Or is your testimony primarily about you? If I were to ask you to come up front next week and stand in this pulpit and share your testimony with everyone who's here, what would you say? Now, I have shared my testimony a number of times over the years in places like New York City, New York, in Santa Barbara, California, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I first served as a pastor, and of course here in Pensacola, where I now serve as a pastor. I have shared my testimony in schools. I have shared my testimony in churches. I have shared my testimony in homeless shelters. I once shared my testimony with the Kiwanis Club. I've never shared my testimony in prison, but I have shared my testimony with a number of prisoners over the years. Thankfully, I've always managed to post bail before I was able to share my testimony in person in the prison, so just kidding, I've never been in prison. No felonies. I did have to do a background check before I came here, and I came out squeaky clean. Some of my favorite books are spiritual memoirs, which are essentially book-length testimonies. My dad wrote a book-length testimony of God's work in his life, and next to the Bible, it is the most precious book that I own. If you want to become an elder or a deacon here at Pinewoods, you will have to write out your testimony. It's probably the most important thing that we do as we prepare elders and deacons to serve in the church. So the question is, what makes a good testimony a good testimony? Do you need to have drama? Do you need to have intrigue? Do you need to have a dramatic reversal like Paul who met Jesus on the road to Damascus? He was heading off to persecute the church of God when Jesus showed up in a blinding light and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is that kind of the testimony that you need to have? Well, if that's the case... I sometimes wonder if I have kind of a a boring testimony because essentially I was a religious kid. I grew up in a Christian family. I wasn't a member of the Hells Angels. Uh, I was not one of the Watergate burglars. Uh, My name isn't Tim Tebow or Kanye West. I love Jesus, but I mostly thought that Jesus was for other people, sinful people, bad people, and certainly not for religious people like me. That all changed one night when I went to a church summer camp. I can't remember how old I was, but I was definitely in elementary school, and there was a big campfire, and there was a speaker, and after the campfire was over, I remember I was sitting there, and I was thinking, and a thought came to my mind. 
You know, I wish I could tell you that I heard the audible voice of God. I know that happens, people say that, and I wish I did hear the audible voice of God. But instead, I got absolute clarity. I got absolute, the absolute sense that God was speaking to me, and he was telling me the gospel is for you. Yeah, it's, it's for other people too. It's for bank robbers and gang members and people in the mafia and all these other people that you would think, oh boy, they really need the gospel. But you need the gospel. And in fact, you need the death of Jesus on the cross in your place as much or more than anyone who has ever lived. That night I prayed I ask God to forgive my sins. I ask God to change my life. I ask God to remove that, this sort of sense of self-righteousness that I had been living with. And he did. I, I can't exactly explain it, but I felt the love of God just sort of washing over me. I felt his forgiveness. I felt his acceptance. I felt his mercy. I, I felt like I was literally born again which is what jesus said in john chapter 3 you must be born again i was now am i a perfect person no far from it i still sin and fall short of the glory of god i'm still growing i'm still changing i still have to confess my sins every day just like everyone else but i truly believe in jesus I truly believe that I'm not who I used to be. And if I die today, though I hope I don't, <laughs> by the way, though that would make a much more dramatic testimony. You know, if, if I die today, oh, you know, I am absolutely sure that I will see the face of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely sure that I will have everlasting life, not because of who I am, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And I know that someday Jesus is coming back, and when he does, I will rise from the grave just like Jesus did. And I will be smarter and better looking and more competent because it's in the Bible. Just read the last couple of pages. It's very, very exciting how this story ends. Because I'm a big sinner, and Jesus is an even bigger Savior. Now, there's a sense in which my testimony, as simple as it is, is all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus did for me. But there's another sense in which my testimony is all about me. It's about what Jesus did for me and in me and through me. Does that make sense? On the one hand, the gospel is objective. It's objective in the sense that the gospel never changes. It is eternally true. It exists outside of me. It's what Jesus did. But on the other hand, the gospel is also subjective. There's a sense in which the gospel is what happens to me. The gospel changes me. And in fact, the gospel changes everything. If you're taking notes this morning, that's our outline. We have just two points this morning, two things that you should include in your testimony, two things that you should talk about as you explain the gospel to other people, two things that happen in you the moment that you believe. First, we'll see that the gospel never changes. 
And because the gospel never changes, it's important to talk about Jesus. When you share your testimony, you're talking about the eternal truths of what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross in your place. Second, we'll see that the gospel, which never changes, changes everything. And because the gospel changes everything, it's important to talk about yourself. It's important to talk about how Jesus changed you, how Jesus changed your life. On the one hand, the gospel is about facts. On the other hand, the gospel is about feelings. And in this case, the facts actually do care about your feelings. The gospel changes everything. That's Paul's testimony. The unchangeable gospel changed Paul's life forever. It happened to Paul. It can happen to you. How does it happen? Let's take a closer look. Paul begins his testimony with the unchangeable gospel. According to Paul, the gospel never changes. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that would, was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, why would Paul say that? What are, what's the background here? Well, here it is. Fifteen years after Paul became a Christian, fifteen years after Paul, then known as, as Saul, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the blinding light, the instant transformation of Paul, fifteen years later, he planted a series of church, churches in the Roman province of Galatia. Now, at first, everything was going very well with the church. It was, they were growing, people were getting saved, people were getting baptized, there were new members, they had potlucks together, they had fellowship together, they loved one another. It was amazing. Then, a group of Jewish Christians arrived. Sometimes known as the Judaizers, they were preaching a different gospel. They were preaching a Jesus plus gospel, a Jesus plus Judaism gospel, a gospel in which we are not saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but first we must become Jewish, a gospel, Paul says, which is really no gospel at all. They said, they said, the false teachers said, you can't just decide to be a Christian someday. You can't just believe in Jesus. That's too simple. That's too easy. First, you have to become Jewish. First, the rules, then the relationship. First, the law, then the gospel. First, your obedience, and then God's acceptance. Paul said, that's not how it works. Not at all. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Salvation is a gift. And because salvation is a gift from God, the first question, not the only question, but the first question isn't what would Jesus do? The first question is, what has Jesus done? Do you see the significance of that? See, if you reverse the order, if you put do before done, you lose Jesus. 
And if you lose Jesus, you lose the gospel. And if you lose the gospel, you lose grace. And if you lose grace, you lose hope. If you lose hope, you lose joy. You exchange one form of slavery, slavery to your passions, slavery to your feelings, for another form of slavery, which is slavery to a moral code, slavery to the rules, slavery to the regulations. And in both cases, you are not, as Paul says, a slave to Christ, who actually sets us free. So important. So in order to undermine Paul's message, these false teachers were saying things like, Paul is making this up. This is not the real gospel. He just invented it. He probably heard a little bit from an apostle here and a little bit from an apostle there, and he sort of put it all together in this strange mishmash, and that became his gospel. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe he's confused. Paul is making the case that he is not confused. He's making the case that his gospel is the real gospel, not because he heard it from other people, not because it's coming from him secondhand, not because he invented it in his mind, but because he heard it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. He later confirms it with the apostles. We read about that in this passage. He goes to Jerusalem. He meets for three weeks with Peter, then known as Cephas. He sees James, the brother of Jesus. But his overarching point is, this gospel is not man's gospel. This is the unchangeable gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that he is preaching is not his message. He's saying, I'm just the messenger. Now, it's worth noting that when we share the gospel with other people, we're in the same position that Paul was in. We are just the messengers. When we share our testimony, the ultimate goal is to point other people to him, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, Jesus, who died a sacrificial death. We have freedom in Jesus. We have forgiveness in Jesus. Ultimately, it's not about me, it's about him. I used to live on Lookout Mountain, Georgia, just above Chattanooga, Tennessee. And on top of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, there's this really cool underground waterfall called Ruby Falls. And if you ever go to to the top of Lookout Mountain, go to Ruby Falls. It's super cool. There's this cave and underground waterfall. Anyway, there's a guy that works at Ruby Falls who stands outside of Ruby Falls And his one job, I kid you not, is to stand there pointing to Ruby Falls. That's all he does, all day long. It's not the same guy. They give him a break. There's other guys. They keep rotating him in. But that's what he does. He stands on the road, and he points to Ruby Falls all day long. When I was ordained, Pastor Joe Novenson preached at my ordination service, and he said, being a Christian is a lot like being that guy from Ruby Falls. We don't point other people to us. We don't sit there going like this all day long. We point to Jesus. We say, it's not about me. It's about him. We don't glorify ourselves. We glorify him. We say, it's not about what I have done. It is about what Jesus has done for me. The gospel is factual. The gospel is historical. The gospel is logical. The gospel is true. 
Notice how Paul begins the letter. He doesn't start, he does eventually get to his own subjective experience, his own uh, life with God, but that's not where he starts. He starts with objective reality. He starts with unchanging truth. If you have your Bibles open, look up at verse 3. He writes, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins on the cross to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, we are loved even when we don't feel loved. We are forgiven even when we don't feel forgiven. We are delivered from this present evil age even when it feels like this whole world is burning down all around us. Because it's not about your perceptions. It's not about your feelings. It's about the promises of God and the promises of God are true. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus won. When Jesus comes again, Jesus wins. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. The gospel is objective. The gospel never changes. But Paul's not done. Paul continues his testimony by pointing to his own changed life. According to Paul, the gospel, which never changes, changes everything. Paul, before he became a Christian, was a notoriously sinful person. Look at verse 13. He writes, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Before Paul became a Christian, he would go from house to house arresting Christians, throwing them in jail, certainly men, certainly women, he, he left children as orphans. He participated in the murder of the very first martyr, Stephen, the, one of the first deacons. When Stephen was killed, Paul was right there watching, witnessing, signing off on it, holding the cloaks of the man, men who stoned him to death. Here's Paul's own testimony from Acts chapter 26. He writes, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Again, remember that Paul was on his way to a foreign city, the city of Damascus, when he met Jesus and got saved. He had hatred in his heart. He had envy and violence in his soul. He had blood on his hands. And then he met Jesus. And Paul, the famous, infamous persecutor of the church, became Paul, 
the beloved apostle of Jesus Christ. Do you have any notorious sins on your resume? I do. Any sins that are big and bold and public and obvious to everyone around? Do you have any secret sins? Sins that that are so huge that you've actually tried to hide them from other people. Sins that are only known by you and maybe one other person. If you do, welcome to the church. Because the gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for people who are unrighteous. The gospel is for people who are ungodly. The good news, the gospel is that God saves sinners like Paul, and God saves sinners like me, and God saves sinners like you. All sinners, big sinners, small sinners, notorious sinners, respectable sinners, murderers and adulterers and thieves and gossips, you name it. Whatever it is that you have done, there is grace for you in Jesus. When you come to Jesus in faith, all of your sins, sins you committed 20 years ago, sins you committed 20 minutes ago, are nailed to the cross, and you bear them no more. If you are a Christian, the worst day of your life does not define you. The worst day of your life is not who you are. Jesus' worst day defines you. The cross is who you are, loved, accepted, forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Now let's keep going. Before Paul became a Christian, not only was he a notoriously sinful person, he was, paradoxically, a fanatically religious person. Verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Do we have any recovering legalists in the house? Any? Any current legalists in the house? Any current Pharisees? Any current hypocrites? Any current self-righteous people? Nitpickers and naysayers and accusers? I've been there. I've been judgmental, I've been self-righteous, I've been hypocritical, been there, done there, done that, got the t-shirt, the whole thing. I have picked splinters out of people's eyes, fully ignoring the giant logs in my own eye. So did Paul. Before he met Jesus, he was the most religious guy in town. He absolutely believed that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, and he was 100% convinced that he was one of the good people who deserved to go to heaven because he was such an obedient, zealous, passionate guy for the law of God. He was offended by grace. He was offended by the idea that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but should have eternal life. Grace was the opposite of Paul's religion. Mercy and affection and kindness were the opposite of Paul's religion. Then Paul met Jesus and Paul changed forever. He became a loving person 
He became a compassionate person, a humble person. He embraced people that he used to exclude. The uncircumcised Gentiles, the unclean people, they became Paul's closest friends. When all the religious establishment was against the Apostle Paul, the people he used to persecute were right there by his side. If you are a recovering legalist, a recovering Pharisee, if you are offended by the idea that God justifies the ungodly, if you are a self-deputized member of the theology police, or the morality police, or the modesty police, or the we've-never-done-it-that-way-before police, there is hope for you too. You can change. You can become a loving person, a forgiving person. You can become like Jesus, who welcomed tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees to dine with him at the table of the king. That's who Paul was, but look at what he became. After Paul became a Christian, he was a dramatically changed person. Verse 21, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul became a pastor. Paul became a missionary. Paul became a church planter. He began to preach the faith he once tried to destroy. And all the people, the people he tried to destroy, the people he persecuted, the people he victimized, his former enemies, glorified God because of him. What kind of changes has God made in your life since you've become a Christian? Are you a different person because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Has God made you a more humble person, a more loving person? Has, do you parent differently because of the gospel? Do you do friendships and relationships differently because of the gospel? Has the gospel changed your marriage? Has the gospel sustained your marriage during t difficult times when you knew that you couldn't make it on your own? Jesus gave Paul a legacy. What kind of legacy has God given you? When all is said and done, when you breathe your last, what will, say about, will people say about you when you've gone? Will they say, he preached the gospel? Will they say, she went on the mission field? Will they say, he wrote, he wrote books and she wrote music? Will they say that you changed the world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you be known as a person who tears down the dividing wall of hostility that separates one racial group from another racial group? Will you be known as someone who loves the unlovely, someone who visits the sick in the hospital, someone who goes into the prison boldly proclaiming the gospel of freedom to those who are in chains? You can do anything that God is calling you to do. You can do anything that the Holy Spirit empowers you to do. After Paul met Jesus, 
after he met Jesus, after Jesus changed his life, nothing was impossible for Paul. And nothing will be impossible for you because nothing is impossible with God. The gospel, which never changes, changes everything. It can change Paul. It can change you. Don't be afraid to tell people how God has changed your life. That, it can come across as, as arrogant or boastful. That's not what it is at all. As you point people to Jesus, say, look at what Jesus did for me. Look at how he changed my life. This is who I was. This is who I am. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. The gospel never changes. The gospel changes everything. That's Paul's testimony. Is it your testimony? Come to Jesus in faith. And the unchangeable gospel of Jesus Christ will change your life forever. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, Lord Jesus, are the rock upon which we stand. Without grace, we would be without hope. We thank you, Lord God, that by your Spirit, you change our lives, that we are not who we used to be. Lord, we are not yet who we will be, but truly, Lord God, your gospel changes us. I pray, Lord God, that that would be evident to all and that knowing the, the power and truth of the gospel and knowing the changing power of faith, we might share our testimony boldly in this world, knowing that you, Lord God, are at work to bring people to yourself. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.